Welcome to the RCAF USA Roundup. I'm Shad Sullivan. And I'm Jaden Moreland, and we're here to talk all things cattle, sheep, and American exceptionalism. We stand for liberty and freedom. And we are having real and honest conversations about issues that affect your family, your ranch, your community, and most of all, your legacy. So let's jump right in. It's no secret that wolves are a huge problem for American ranchers in many Western states. But the heartbreaking attacks on livestock just serve as an example of something bigger. We sat down with Colorado rancher and journalist Rachel Gable to break down the ballot box biology of Colorado's wolf reintroduction and the door it opens to the attack on rural America and private property rights. You may not be from Colorado and you may not have wolf problems, but make no mistake, this issue applies to you and your ranch. This episode is sponsored by Ag West Feeds, providing the best quality mineral feed for your farm or ranch. Visit them in Burwell, Nebraska today. Thank you, Ag West, for being a 2023 convention sponsor, and thank you for your support of RCAP USA. Are you a rancher looking for a place to sell direct-to-consumer beef? Or are you a consumer looking to buy 100% American beef from a local rancher? Visit usabeef.org to get connected today. Okay. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you start by just giving us a quick introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do. Sure thing. I'm Rachel Gable. I'm the assistant editor of the Fence Post magazine. Um, I also have a weekly column that appears in Colorado Politics and the Denver and Colorado Springs Gazette about agriculture and rural issues. And I do a little writing on the side, some books. Of course, Chad's little boy was on the back of my first one, so that was fun. He's not little anymore, dang it, but uh, he was when he was on there. But um, I live up in northeastern Colorado. I'm on the the family cattle operation. We run cows. Uh, my husband and I run cows with his folks, so we're on a, a cow-calf operation every day. And oh, Rachel Gable is an American hero. Because she's oh, not, good gosh. Yeah. Yes, you are. And you because you're not afraid to go to bat for what's right. And, uh, you know, I was listening to one of your other podcasts, which I love the new podcast. Congratulations on that. And uh, uh, it was uh, amazing because they what did somebody said something about you were uh, basically honest, right? Because there's no frills about it. It's just the way it is. That's how you're supposed to to be when you're uh, in publishing and, and I love it and that's what I love about you because we need way more like you we do thank you so um I guess that kind of brings us into why we asked you on the podcast today this is a I mean hot button issue I mean hot button issue <laughs> um and so I guess a little background of December in December of 2023 Colorado Parks and Wildlife released wolves into Colorado um and I know you have kind of done a lot of research and kind of been in the forefront of reporting on this and letting everybody know what's going on. So kind of just give us the rundown on these wolves and what's been going on with this issue. Sure. In 2020, um, there was a citizen-led citizen-led um, initiative, a ballot proposal put together to reintroduce gray wolves into Western Colorado, west of the Continental Divide on and it was a release onto state or federal lands. And it was enough wolves to um, 
make for a sustainable population. So they're thinking 30 to 50 wolves over the next five years. So fast forward to 2023 in December, the first wolves were released into Colorado. Now, they tried to source wolves from a number of places, uh, Wyoming, Montana, uh, several states. Wyoming uh, basically told Colorado to go pound sand and said they had no intention of uh, providing source wolves to the reintroduction efforts here in Colorado. So they ended up going with Oregon, which um, is another blue state, of course. And uh, the once, so the wolves were released the first five in December and come to find out uh, the majority of those wolves came from packs with history of livestock depredation in Oregon. And I reported that, and that was picked up by mainstream media, and as well it should have been. That should be a mainstream story, and really agriculture should be in, in the mainstream because, you know, it's so important to everybody's daily lives. But uh, that story was pretty big, and in the meantime, while that was breaking, there were another five wolves that were released from Oregon as well, so the total of 10 wolves released nine of those came from packs with recent depredation history on livestock and the 10th wolf did not only because she wasn't listed as uh, associated with a pack so cpw's answer to that was well any wolf any wolf pack in close proximity to livestock will depredate on livestock and all wolves in oregon are in close proximity to livestock um the release itself, the first five wolves, was very, uh, the optics were troubling of that first release. Uh, the governor, of course, was there. Um, press was essentially not allowed. CPW did allow Colorado Public Radio and the Colorado Sun, which are both pretty left-leaning, hard-leaning, real left uh, publications. Those are the only two that CPW allowed to be there, and they had press pool coverage. Well, typically, when we talk about press pool coverage, we talk about, you know, like card carrying members of the press doing um, photos, video, and and like news coverage of an event. And what ended up coming out of that was like this slow motion video, and the press pool, the written coverage was just bizarre. It was like, and I am not even kidding about this. It was like the wolf's hair was blowing through the holes <laughs> in the crate and they galloped into the forest, majestically looking back over their shoulder and a hushed oh. awe fell over the crowd. Like that is not press coverage. That is PR. Yes. Yeah. That's theater. <laughs> it was theater. It was absolutely theater. It was all like slow motion video and the governor was there clasping his hands to his heart. <laughs> and it was oh, really man. frustrating because for all of those reasons that I mentioned, but the ranchers there, there was one that shared a fence with this particular state-owned property. And the reason they didn't do federal is because they would have had to do a NEPA um, study, which would have taken several years. You know, the kind of study that ranchers have to do if they want to put a new tank in or a new right. fence, right. that kind of lengthy NEPA study. But uh, CPW was able to circumvent that by using state lands and wow. they closed off the county road and brought in, you know, the black suburbans full of the the governor and the first gentleman and and they really kind of chose winners and losers. There was, for example, um, Grand Grand County is where this was the first release which was like 61% against the wolf release, by the way. Right. But Grand County Commissioner Merritt Linky 
was on one of the working groups and was not notified or invited to this. But <laughs> there was a, a member of the one of the other working groups. Uh, her name is Darlene Kabobel, and she is the head honcho at the Wolf and Wildlife Center or something. That's the group that's hosting the wolf naming contest. Oh, and boy. she was there. So um, they were definitely picking some winners and losers. And I really thought when we were talking about wolf release, the like CPW would do it pretty quietly, like three CPW guys with some wolves right. in the middle of nowhere, like release them and then let people know. But it was very theatrical and it was a big group and, you know, the odd hush fell over the crowd and all of <laughs> that nonsense. So that, that really sat poorly with ranchers and voters and elected leadership in that area. So back up to the naming contest. So this is open to middle school kids. They have an educational script that they can send to teachers to to teach them about wolves and how great this is for the state. And I I emailed them and asked to review the the educational script and of course they wouldn't give it to me, but I have friends in low places and I've got my dirty grubby mitts on one and it was it was what you would expect. I mean, it wasn't, it was very pro wolf and balancing the ecosystem and, you know, every, like every buzzword you could ever imagine. And they did, uh, they did announce the results of said wolf naming contest the other day, but uh, a lot of the mainstream media did not pick that up. And I had to cheer. I yeah. will admit. Yeah. I just don't, they're just turning it into such a, like, it's almost like a, literally a theatrical performance that's ridiculous between the way they released it the media coverage and then even pulling in kids a little bit of indoctrination it's, it's unnecessarily uh, inflammatory yes it's, it really is just a punch in the face to uh, the opposition uh, to the ranchers to the people who voted against it which you know uh, it barely passed in Colorado I think it was like 50 50.4 percent uh, passing, I was surprised really to see that El Paso County was was the lowest of the passing counties. Um, I, th I can't remember where they were at 51%, and then maybe Boulder County was the highest at 68%. Uh, but but it surprised me in El Paso County because you know half of El Paso County is is rural and and maybe going away from that, but um, it wasn't like it was a enormous win i mean it it was a win let's no doubt um but you touched on something that i was very interested in talking about rachel and that was uh did, did you say legislation from the voter box what what was that phrase that you used about you know issues such as reintroduction or introduction ballot box biology ballot box biology and so i want to talk more about that i mean how how does that even come about i mean we we had a committee of people that decided hey we, we want to put this on the ballot and we have to go through these steps that make it legal correct well they have to go in front of the title board with their right. um with their proposed initiative and it's just like the pause initiative several years ago you probably remember that uh that was an initiative that would have made it uh, illegal to do any sort of um to do Anybody. slaughter 
Oh, yeah, anything. It was yeah. it was a bad deal. But it would have outlawed slaughter until an animal reached like 20% of their, right. I can't remember, a certain percentage of their natural life. And they decided that a natural lifespan on a beef animal is 20 years. Right. I don't know any 20-year-old cows, but um, so they wouldn't have been able to be slaughtered until they were like five. And, you know, you, you're just thinking of like all of the reasons why this is such a bad idea, because <laughs> there's a lot of them. But it also would have outlawed um, any sort of AI preg checking, pulling calves, any anything that that you had to to like go in for. So because it had the two questions on there, should right. we make it illegal to do this and this? It was finally. I mean, the title board did go ahead and set a title to it, and then the major agriculture groups and livestock groups here in Colorado had to take it all the way to the state supreme court. And at that point, the state supreme court ruled that. It was a two-question deal. So initiatives here in Colorado, they don't have to make sense. They don't have to be true. They don't have to be a good idea. You could reintroduce unicorns into Crowley County. Like it doesn't have to make sense, but it can only be one question. Do we want to reintroduce unicorns to Crowley County? And so so that's the, the, the main thing and then they have to get once the title is set then they can go ahead and gather signatures so that's what happened with the wolf deal so it's supposed to be like a citizen-led initiative but what it turns into is big money from out of state from radical groups and environmental groups and extremist groups pull their money and then they're like "Hmm, we'll get colorado to do it and of course it's not hard to find a radical environmentalist in colorado to run this it seems to be the same guys coming over and over and over right uh, that we see (laughs) and uh there's lots of connections to be made there but uh so they run it and they can get it on the ballot and that's what happened with the wolf deal there's a, a ballot initiative right now in Denver, in the city and county of Denver, to outlaw slaughterhouses, which wouldn't seem like a very big deal, except for Superior Farms is in Denver. So that's the the largest land processor in the country. So um, if they're able to do that, then that's really just derailed. And so will they the go to the ballot with that, Rachel? Will they go to the ballot with that? Mm-hmm. And it's up to Denver voters. Oh, wow. So that's not going to probably And that may have been well. one... Yeah, and that may have been one of the things that, um, you know, the wolf introduction, reintroduction, I call it introduction, uh, and but that may have been one of the issues. With the PAWS Act, that, um, that two-question ballot initiative, they probably learned from that, you know, and that yeah. was in that, that hotbed of when uh, the first gentleman's friend was you know set on the state vet board and then and then because and she's an animal rights activist an extreme animal rights activist then she's prosecuted for abusing animals i mean you just can't make all this stuff up and uh, it's like a bad novel it is it it is and and uh, they learn along the way and of course the outside money is so influential i know that a lot of that came from uh the western coast and the east coast and uh uh, that's how they incrementally implement their their uh, ideology. But I'm sorry, Jaden. Go go ahead. I, I I get off on these rabbit trails. You'll have to forgive me. Oh, you're good. That's I'm that's... just as bad as Shad. So you just have to like mute us and bring us back in. <laughs> oh, you're good. We're just going where the conversation takes us. It's a good conversation to have. So <laughs> this is very much how me and Shad's conversations go normally. 
pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Pretty He's much. good at we're that. All over. <laughs> um, we're all over and we're bad. <laughs> very bad. Very bad. <laughs> um, I guess bringing it back then to the wolf issue of, I guess, are we seeing, like, have we already seen the effects of these specific wolves that were introduced? Like, did they head for the hills or are they, you know, kind of scouting it out? Have we seen anything yet? Let me let me back up and tell you about the wolves that were already here, because I have to tell you that to answer your question. <laughs> okay. So wolves naturally migrated from Wyoming, and they decided that they really like Don Gittleson's place, which is right there in the North Park area by Walden. Poor Don Gittleson has been through more than any one man should be able to. Oh, if, no doubt. Shad, did you listen to him on, on the Pro Ag podcast? Yeah, I did. Oh, it just just kills me. And some of the messages that I get from these guys that are up there in the Walden area and in the release area around around uh, Grand, Grand County just yeah. rip my heart out and stomp on yeah. it. It's just awful. But getting back to the original question. Um, so there's wolves naturally migrating and they've there's been a lot of depredation incidences with these particular wolves. And Don, you know, we have the 10J rule here in Colorado, which means that if there's problem wolves, then CPW or Wildlife Services can le lethally remove them. But um, Don made a formal request to do so with two of the wolves that had been there for like 14 of the depredation incidences, the, like working dogs, domestic dogs, cattle, sheep, like you name it, 13, 14 incidences. And the wolves had been there for almost all of them and the state uh, refused to remove them which it was the same week as the reintroduction release. So like, I get why they didn't do it, but it's still like, if that's not chronically depredating, then I don't know what is. Exactly. So these new wolves have not, no depredation has been reported to this point. Um, but I got a picture on my phone a couple of weeks ago of this wolf sitting with a collar, like on a rock. And I was like, where is this? Is this real? Are you sure? Who is this? <laughs> and it was just a guy that was driving down one of the roads in Grand County and a wolf ran in front of his pickup and he stopped and he's like, I have a Samsung cell phone and I just got that thing out. And he took two or three pictures before he even got the window rolled down. And he said the wolf went up on top of this rock, rock outcropping and sat there and watched him. It was I incredible. Oh, that's oh. ridiculous. I guess then so that, that blows my mind in a million yeah. different directions. But yeah. they, according to CPW, they are still here, all of them, and no depredations have been reported. Now, CPW is not terribly accessible or transparent. And by that, I mean they don't answer. <laughs> They're sometimes they have a, a stroke of genius and they will email me back, but for the most part, they do not. And um, that really came out in the CPW commission meeting last week there was and lots so, to talk about that so the cpw is colorado parks and wildlife tell me about if if we're if we're they're doing their jobs right where i'm not gonna i, I don't want to cut them down some of those guys are in a heck of a bad position how how overall how is the ideology in in the cpw and do they have relationships with like the Wyoming's version of the CPW. I mean, where where, did, where are we at on that? They do. 
Now there's these boots on the ground guys, these local guys that are part of these communities where these wolves were released, they're having to, to now repair some of these relationships with the ranchers and the landowners. They're, I mean, they're trying. I mean, this is their career. This is what they sure. wanted to do their whole lives. And they're in a really bad position because the leadership of CPW is not being transparent or accessible to them either. And some of the answers that they're giving to ranchers there are what CPW leadership is telling them, but it doesn't jive with what's actually happening. Sure. So the further you get up the food chain in CPW, um, the least less transparent it is. And one thing that I can give you an example, um, during the CPW commission last week, Corey Gaines, who's from Sterling, he's an NJC like math professor, like engineering, super smart guy. He's not from ag, he's from Denver. He grew up in Denver, but he ended up at NJC. And Sterling. And so he signed up for public comment about the wolves. And his his comment was that it was not transparent. Okay. Keep in mind right. this transparent word. And he said, you know, you didn't you didn't notify anyone. And I'm not expecting that all these people be invited to the party, but you could have at least notified the commissioners and the County, elected yeah. officials in Grand County and in Western Colorado that this was happening. And that didn't happen yet. You still had time to notify the 40 people with the hushed awe and the light applause who were there. And he mentioned that the governor was there and that the first gentleman was there. And he used the phrase that the first gentleman had a ringside seat and Dallas May, who is the chair of the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission hung up on him. Ended the conversation. Oh my God. I flee. Hung up on him about transparency. It blew my mind. And so Corey has visited with the legislative liaison for Department of Natural Resources. He has emailed Dan, Dan Gibbs, who is the executive director of the Department of Natural Resources. He has made all of these calls and emails to, to say, I would like a copy of the rules that I broke of, and I want a copy of the rules that the commissioners are bound to, and I want an official recording of my my comment. And all he's gotten back was, well, you were heard. And he said, I don't care if I was heard. That's not how the First Amendment works, Brian. Exactly. Oh my gosh, yeah. Which, which takes us into the constitutionality of all of it, because uh, yeah. to me, as a, as a private landowner, um, I know this was done on state lands, which uh, I don't know, but the sheriff does have complete dominion over his county. And so there's an issue there, but I wanted to tie, I want to tie it back to uh, the, this is an example of the infiltration. Uh, and I'm talking about the Colorado Parks and Wildlife. This is an example of the infiltration of the ideology. We have local uh, men and women who are raised in these communities and believe in their, in their local communities that their dream is, you know, to be a wildlife biologist or whatever. And in the past, that that uh, source of work was directly connected to agriculture because they're both stewards, right? And now with this infiltration on the higher levels, which it's coming down, we know that it's coming down to the lower levels. Uh, that's a total example of how this ideology is spreading across the world. Um, and, and it puts those employees uh, in a horrible position 
with their own communities, you know, and it, and rural America is, is suffering now. I mean, you, you've been doing a, a podcast on mental health and, and that is all a part of this. And it's very, very unfortunate that we put those people who have to put food on their table for these families, for their own families in this kind of position. And uh, it's just a really tough situation that we need to really be aware of and, and show how this ideology is moving because one day we'll all have to say, Hey, stop, no more. This is this can't happen like this. Commissioner CPW Commissioner Marie Haskett, who is the outdoors rep, like the hunters and outfitters rep. I forget exactly what she's called, but uh, she said, you know, your these relationships are being destroyed faster than you can fix them, and pretty soon every private gate will be locked to CPW, and it will seriously, you you know, CPW cannot manage wildlife in the state if they don't have access to these private lands and gates are being locked every day. Wow. And there is a bill in committee right now that was introduced by four Western Slope legislators, uh, Dylan Roberts, who um, represents Grand County as well. So it was him. I can't remember all of them. Perry Will and two others whose name is escaping me yet again. But um, so they introduced this bill that would require these governor appointed positions like CPW commission, like the ag commission to, um, have twice a year meetings, like listening sessions with the people that they are supposed to be representing to, to hear from them and to wow. face them and to have some accountability. And I am, um, absolutely in support of this bill. So it probably absolutely. won't pass. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong, but I'm probably not. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's it is a bipartisan bill, so maybe it will. But it would it would make these guys face the people that they're supposed to be yeah. uh, representing. You know, one of the guys on the CPW commission is uh, part of the Southern Plains Land Trust, which is down in your country. Shad. Oh my gosh, I was going to bring that up in this conversation. Uh, oh my gosh. Anyway, Jade, where do you want to go? <laughs> You can run with that. Run with the land trust. Well, this is another, this was another issue that I was thinking that kind of piggybacks off the Wolfrey introduction. And you've mentioned it on your podcast a lot, Rachel, is that, you know, we're here we are, we're going to have um, the Wolverine, you know, consideration of the Wolverine reintroduction. We, uh, you know, the movement of prairie dogs, we've already experienced that thanks to the Southern Plains Land Trust back in 1999. Um, when they tried to move that, you know, the Southern Plains Land Trust bought the 1,280 acres in 99 in Baca County, and they wanted to uh, move the prairie dogs down out of a, out of a, a cul-de-sac or whatever, you know, that they were building in Longmont and move them down there. And it caused a big, big, big stink. Right. And so then that, that has only grown. The, the Southern Plains Land Trust has only grown for, over the years and big, great big with lots of power and money from the outside. And it's an all, I think there was, there's one uh, born and raised Colorado native in that on the board of directors there. And it's just, it's just a, a movement that we know that has been in the works for a long time. And so I, I watch that as close as I can, but tell us how, you know, if, if I'm just a rancher and that's all I am, you're, you're so informed, Rachel, on these hot button issues like the Wolverine deal, the 
free and direct. How do you, how do you as a, as a uh, publisher or investigator, how do you find out all of this that's coming down the pike? That's what people ask me all the time. And I'm like, I don't know. The, it just comes in my ear and I remember it for some reason. I don't know why. Just connecting all of those things. And a lot of this stuff comes from people that call me and say, did you know? Because with, so with my work with the Fence Post, Tri-State Livestock News and Western Ag Network. So yeah. I cover Colorado, Wyoming, Nebraska, South Dakota, mm -hmm. North Dakota, and Montana. And you can't possibly keep track of all of the ag and no. all of the dates by yourself. No. So I do have a lot of folks that'll text me or send me an article or say, did you know this? Did you look into this? I've got an email pulled up right now from uh, somebody in the lower Arkansas that's talking about the buy and drive from the Colorado Springs utilities. Yeah. And he gave me a couple of articles linked to me. So I'm digging into that. So it's not just me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I've, I really depend on on lots of people who have an ear in that community, but I am lucky because I am part of the ag community and, you know, my name's on the operating note too. So I have to, I, I pay attention to it. This well, is our, you, our livelihood. You were born and raised in, in it. And um, you, uh, you, like you said, you have a stake, a stake in the game. And, and so these are your people, right? And we, we have to protect our way of life. And that's, what's really important. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes of that bill today. You know, Gary, uh, Gary Skiba is one of the newest CPW commissioners that's mm -hmm. been appointed by Governor Polis, and he is the Western Colorado rep. And he said in the commission meeting that he didn't think that rural Colorado had been mistreated or disrespected at all. He didn't know what the big deal was. And so if that passed, and Gary Skiba had to host listening sessions with the people that he's tasked to represent in Western Colorado. Yeah. That'd be good watching. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be, it, it's gonna be a little warm in that room, isn't it? I don't know where. Where do you want to go now, Shad? Back to the wolves, or do you want to keep going? Yeah, you know. Well, I think one one thing that I want to talk to Rachel about is this potential reintroduction or protection of these other other species. You know, uh, we obviously know that they're not uh, on any kind of endangered species list, but they will they will make no doubt they will put them on there to try to protect them and um, so where are we going with that Rachel what do you think prairie dogs well I'm just saying prairie dogs which has an effect on eastern Colorado I know you said something that was really interesting to me and you say if you think if you think if you think the wolf issue is not coming to you you're wrong it is coming to us and it's coming uh in the, maybe not in the wolves but uh, maybe with the uh, with the mountain lion deal or with something like that. And I will tell you, Rachel, uh, about 10 years ago, after they introduced uh, the gray wolf back into New Mexico, I was headed to Texas and I always go down from La Junta down to Kim and across to Campo, Colorado. And I, we were driving, I was driving along and I happened to just look to this right and there was five, what I thought really big coyotes uh, attacking this cow who had just kept. And my dad and my dad was riding with me and I said, dad, look at that. And he's like, those are wolves. Those are wolves. And I'm like, what? So we stopped, turned around, went back. And sure enough, they were five gray wolves uh, attacking this cow along the highway uh, between La Junta and Kim, Colorado. Those wolves had come up out of New Mexico. And so there is no boundary on this. I mean, we've had, we're in the middle of Northwest Crowley County. 
And we've had bear, mountain lion. We had a mountain lion kill a colt about five years ago. Couldn't find the colt. Finally found it buried in a ravine. Well, that was a mountain lion. And uh, they ended up killing the mountain lion 60 miles from us over by Carville in two days. But those are things that have no boundaries. So where are we, where are we going with that is, and is there any way that rural Colorado uh, can, can fight back? I mean, really, is there? It's a hard question. And it's one that I get asked a lot. Um, you know, these don't have boundaries. There's a lot of talk with the wolves, especially about if they go to Wyoming, those ranchers will shoot them. And there's lots of talk about they just have to survive these ranchers. None of these boys want to go to federal prison in Colorado. So I don't think that the wolves are in danger from the ranchers. But if they go to Wyoming, they are in the predator zone and they can be shot. So we do have some states that have done um, a good job of laying that foundation for themselves. And I think we can certainly take a page from that book. Um, as the prairie dog situation and the wolverine situation and all of this ballot box biology continues to happen, we just really have to stay engaged and stay on these folks on the CPW commission or on the ag commission or wherever. Because what that, like with the prairie dog deal, the, the Department of Ag right now recognizes them as um, pests. I forget what the exact term is, yeah. but it recognized them as like vermin pests. And so the governor wants to remove that and right. change it so that they're recognized as keystone species. Well, if that happens, then the state land board can no longer require prairie dog control on state land board lands. So it's it's all kind of connected there. So we need to lean on the Department of Ag to say, no, <laughs> we don't want them designated as a keystone species. They, they are labeled correctly. And like right now, there's a big um, prairie dog town right there on the Boulder Weld County line. Uh -huh. It's like at a big intersection. And there was a gal that bought some land up by um, Croset Red Angus. So like in the Briggsdale-ish area. Yeah. And she wanted to make, she wanted to bring all the prairie dogs over there. And she said, well, they won't leave my property because I'm going to put that plastic fencing stuff, you know, that they put around construction sites. Well, that's not going to stop them. Yeah. <laughs> and they can't read property lines or plat maps or anything yeah. like that. I've never seen a prairie dog that can read. <laughs> so we just have to continue to, to lean on that. And, you know, the reason that they're not able to bring those is because if you're moving a species like that and doing a release, it's up to the county where you're releasing them. Right. And if That's that right. goes away, then we have big problems. So those counties have to stay strong and those county sheriffs and the county commissioners yes. need to be held accountable to hold people's feet to the fire because they're they're like the last bastion of defense that we have. And we've got to really make are. sure that we're standing behind them and holding them up and holding their feet to the fire. And really, honestly, to go one step beyond that is holding them accountable. I mean, and I, I, I am not in any way degrading our, our public servants locally, but we do, at, it is our fiduciary duty to hold them accountable and say, hey, you're representing us. We have to do this. But one problem I see coming, Rachel, or I see, and it's here, is even, you know, so you have the Colorado State Land Board, which is appointed by our governor or his people. And then uh, and then that that falls down and you have uh, I said state land board, didn't I? Not brand board. Uh, 
that's appointed. And then, so all of these uh, movements in this ideology is controlled. You know, even the De Department of Agriculture is controlled by one of his, one of his picks. And so they have control of thousands, hundreds, tens of thousands of producers who have the opposite of ideology or production standards that what they think they have, you know, and that is a problem in Colorado uh, because it is really a line lineation between rural and urban. And we have seen that there's no, there's almost no in between now in Colorado. And so I see that, that as a very long-term problem that uh, I don't know what will fix. I don't know how that will fix it other than uh, I have to do a better job. Me, we all have to do a better job of bridging that, that gap of, of education. You know, I had a guy call me this morning about uh, from Colorado about conservation easements. And he says, you know, we have a lot of liberal friends come to our ranch out of Denver and, and they want to go on tours. And I take him on a tour and he said, this weekend, the lady come and she's like, well, cattle are bad for the environment. They, and he says, well, why are they? And well, they drink 1500 gallon, it takes 1500 gallons of water to produce one pound of beef. And, and he says, where do you think that water goes? Does it just disappear? There's water in every fiber of that animal. There's, you know, and, and she's like, well, I never thought about it. So it is a communication issue. And we used to do a good job. Uh, you know, do you remember, I know you remember when, when we, when a cow was more than a cow, when we put those pamphlets out in the schools, I love that. I mean, I love that when I was a kid and it was so interesting to see how much, and we don't do that anymore. We're not educating. And well, you are, you've got a pet partnership uh, and you can talk a little bit about that, but um, we've got to get into those highly urbanized schools and say, you know what, this ain't, this, it really isn't how you, you're being taught. And yeah. Somebody's smart enough to figure that out, and it ain't me, but I'm willing to help. Yeah, that, that education thing is hard because, you know, in agriculture for a long time, we've been told, you need to tell your story, you need to right. to outreach, and it's hard to know what that looks like. It is. And you can't stalk people at the at the grocery store at the meat counter and be like, I see you're looking at some ground beef. Would you like to learn? <laughs> Would you like me to teach you? You know, consumers don't want to be educated. They might want a relationship, but... They don't want to be educated. One of the greatest things that I've had a chance to be a part of is my column in Colorado politics and the gazettes because it's very consumer facing and it's it goes to the front range. And that has been amazing. And it's it's always cool to see how many people reach out and say, you know, my grandpa farmed or my grandpa ranched or he grew up on a dairy farm or, you know, their generations removed as most Americans are sure. from production agriculture, but they're at least interested and they realize that it's connected to them in some way. And I think it's a mistake for us to get bogged down and not think a farmer, think a rancher um, type of, of movement, because I think we need consumers just as much as they need us. Amen. And I don't That's want people point. to feel like we want a pat on the back. Like this last week, it's been sub zero. I didn't need a pat on the back. I needed to not have legislation bearing down on me that was going to be a bigger problem than the frozen water <laughs> and maybe a hot toddy <laughs> maybe a hot toddy <laughs> <laughs> no i think it you is. make a good, i think you make a really good point there and uh that's something to really think about you know uh if we can be more 
consumer driven, they, they do deserve, and I, I'm, you know, I'm a proponent of MCOOL and, and um, I, I just think that we do a disservice to our consumer uh, when we don't give them the information and the, and the choice, because ultimately uh, they're not blaming skills, but ultimately we are the root of where all of our food comes from. Uh, you, it can be processed. It can go through other avenues to get to the consumer, but we are the ultimate root. And I think it's important that we really establish that with the consumer. And so they have trust in us. It's, it is a trust issue and we're all proud of our operations and there's nothing wrong with that, but um, you know, you're right. The pat on the back deal. Hey, we do this every day. It's not new. We don't need the, we don't need the, need it to be in the news, but uh, we do want it to uh, be uh, respected by the consumer because, because ultimately the respect is trust and trust is, is everything. So yeah, I mean, yeah, we I definitely want people to trust to trust producers over legislators. Oh, you know, yeah. I don't want a legislator making decisions about how to do heart surgery. <laughs> I would That's rather right. let surgeons make those decisions. Because but I do want to trust. Yeah, but I do want to trust our legislators. And that's why, you know, I'm always people look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, let's outlaw lobbying. I mean, there is no reason that we should our legislators, legislators should ever be paid for. And I, you know, there's one up in up in the northern states that I say before they even do anything with that individual, they're mm -hmm. paid for. And I don't like that. I, I think that I think that truth and honesty you know, we need to regain truth and honesty. And anyway, we're totally off subject and that's my fault, but uh, that's just how I feel. How we roll. We're sorry. It's where the road took us. That's okay. <laughs> well, okay. Just what getting else? a glimpse into me and me and Shad's conversations. again. I love it. I love it. This is how our conversations go, Shad and I too. So I'm glad to know I'm not the only one. <laughs> it appears that you're the common denominator here, Sullivan. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's you. <laughs> well okay what next Dad? what do you want to cover more on wolves well, or what road do you want to take i don't i don't I, you know i mean whatever you want to do it's, it's a great conversation and it does revolve around wolf reintroduction and i don't know uh you've got some good questions something. here i have something so i do yeah. want to talk about the fact of so what's different between Colorado and some of these other states with the wolves is isn't can, they cannot shoot the wolf unless it is in self-defense, like personal self-defense, correct? So if they're if if they're if they're being attacked like a human is being attacked, you could. And they say if you catch them in the act of attacking, harassing, fighting your livestock, but you have to have an have a permit. So if you're just caught in the heat of the attack and you don't already have a permit that, by the way, CPW is probably not going to give you, yeah. <laughs> then you can't. And, you. <laughs> you know, wolves eat stuff in the middle of the night and it's illegal in Colorado to use thermal imaging, night vision, stuff like that. So if you shot a wolf without a permit in the dark using things like <laughs> thermal imaging, then you'd be a felon. Oh my gosh. So but, yeah, you can, but you can't. <laughs> yeah. And I just think that's ridiculous because I mean, essentially they're taking away your defense of 
your way of life, how you're, yeah, your literal property rights. Like we talk about all the time of, they literally came in, they were like, nope, you can't defend, you know, that cow makes, that's your salary, your way of life. You can't defend that. And that's just ridiculous. Um, So then I guess I also want to bring up, so I know it's also common because, I mean, we have a lot of members in Montana and Washington that have, I mean, just horror stories from the wolves of it's common of they don't just outright kill them all the time you know they cause a lot of damage and just you know hurt to the animal they don't necessarily kill them and so like I just where are the animal rights activists on that where are they on the deaths of these calves and these lambs and these dogs or just the stress of reintroducing wolves from Oregon to Colorado period you're watching the hair blow in the wind yeah, <laughs> majestically gallop into the forest. I don't know where they are. I I wouldn't think that, you know, when they they kill sheep or cows and just eat their vulvas out and leave them there with their guts hanging out, it's or terrible. kill them while they're down trying to have a calf. That's that's not terribly humane. But they always say, "Well, they're predators. That's what they do." Well, yeah, they are. Yeah, well, and it goes, this, it all ties into the anti-animal ideology. And, you know, we have extreme animal rights organizations all across the, all across the nation, including the Humane Society of the United States, whose CEO said, my ultimate goal is to end animal ownership. And so that's what we're uh, seeing is that anti-animal ideology. And how do you do that? Well, uh, you open the floodgates. I mean, we're seeing it in our own lives and you open the floodgates to those things that will end ultimate production um, on on your private land, because we know that uh, private property is the foundation of freedom, and that's what they don't want you to have. And they don't like the uh, productivity of uh, the anti-meat establishment, doesn't like that kind of productivity. So they're going to do whatever they can, and they're going to infiltrate any group they can to, um, to implement their ideology across America and the world. And it's spreading fast, but Consumers are waking up, people are waking up and they're saying, hey, we're not sure if this is uh, really good for our uh, for our local community. We're not sure if this is good for America and for our freedom. And so uh, I see it on both sides. It's incredibly dangerous. And at the same time, we see patriots rising up and saying, hey, no more. But uh, anyway, our our goal is to produce the most wholesome and, uh, you know, most wonderful beef on Earth, which we do right here in America and get it to our consumer. And so um, that's where we need to focus on uh, on keeping keeping going while we fight these fights to the side, which, you know, Rachel, you do a fantastic job and I really appreciate you um, coming on and talking to us. Thank you so much. Of course, thanks for having me. You know, you reminded me of something else when you said infiltration and private property rights. It made me think of direct action everywhere. And they're a perfect example of how we can keep our our local judges holding them accountable. There was a case in Utah, this direct action everywhere. Sometimes you see it as DXE, like capital okay. D, small X, capital E. They're they're actually based, we're based out of Colorado, oddly enough, Boulder. But um, they do the open rescues, which is code for breaking and entering and stealing livestock. You know, they rescue baby pigs and whatnot. And they're coming onto private property to do so. And of course, that's all, when we're talking pigs or turkeys or whatever, we're talking about a huge bio risk. But um, in Utah, that went to trial and they were found not guilty of, wow. of trespassing, which 
is bananas because that's absolutely trespassing. That's absolutely theft. And boy, if you're hold, if you're not holding that judge accountable, and that's, and that's where you're from, mm-hmm, really, you need to start doing that. Yeah, because it's it's a question of private property rights, and that's yeah. that was such a glaring error. And I don't think that most people agree with the radical extremists like that. Like, I don't think most people would be like, yes, we should break into that farm no, and rescue right. piglets. Right. And then post the video all over social media and YouTube. We should well, do that. I don't think most people want to do that. I think they're the noisy minority, but they, they get are. a lot of help. They are. And they're the noisy mi- minority, but they also have a large uh, funding mechanism behind them because that, that defies all logic. It defies all common sense um, in a capitalistic society. So w- you, we do have to hold those judges accountable, very much so. It's a big deal everywhere. It's just everything's so interwoven and combined, and uh, we really have to be on top of it as citizens. Yeah. Well, and it's not just a wolf. It's just opening the doors. Yeah. The, yeah, the wolf deal is just a fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A wolf deal is just testing the waters. It yeah. sure is. I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, give us an update on Don Gittleson. I mean, I, I've talked to him one time. I don't know the man. I've never met him face to face. Tell us how he is right now. We know that he's gone through immortal hell. He has. So right now, I I haven't heard anything else in the last week yeah. or so, but he's been doctoring a heifer that was taken down by wolves right. and stifled her, chasing her, and she's got some some pretty bad wounds. He said he can put his hand in the, the tears on the back legs. Hmm. So he's trying to keep, you know, fluid out of her belly, fluid out of her legs and keep the swelling down so that he could do something with her. He's not going to be able to retain her as a replacement heifer. And, you know, all CPW can say as well, if she was killed, we would reimburse you up to $15,000. Okay. Well, that doesn't pay for the uh, drop in um, pregnancies. It doesn't pay for lighter weaning weights. It doesn't pay for death loss. It doesn't pay for the calves that we never find when we come down in the fall, if you're 20 calves short which he always is. So, you know, he's been very much like the Petri dish at the, the middle of the target here. And, and I think that at some point CPW is going to have to use that 10 J rule, but I'm afraid that when they do, when they do use that to get rid of some of those problem wolves, that the activists and the radicals will go after the 10 J rule. And then we won't have anything to stand on. So I don't know if having it and not using it is worse than it being taken away. I don't know what the answer is there, yeah. but um, I'm sure that he's going to have more attacks in the future and they're probably going to be those same two wolves. CPW did mention that they're trying to put together, excuse me, an online tool to kind of see some location on the collared wolves for ranchers. I don't know what yeah. that looks like. If they're just going to be like, they're in Grand County. Oh, thanks. That's very helpful. Right. <laughs> Grand right. County is fairly large. <laughs> so if they're just going to say they're in Grand County, that's not helpful at all to any rancher in Grand County. <laughs> but if they're saying that they're in Southeast Grand County, maybe that's a little bit more helpful. Um, but I'm thinking like in the county where I live in Northeastern Colorado, if you just said they're in Northeast Morgan yeah, County, well, that's, that's a lot of ground. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I don't and expect them to say they're on Don Gilson's place or whatever, but a little, a little 
help would <laughs> would be nice. And yeah. I realize they keep saying that they want to protect the wolves and they want to protect the CPW staff. And, and like I said, these boys don't want to go to federal prison. Well, and, you know, there is no amount of technology that is going to reduce the stress uh, that these wolves have, have have caused inside a herd, much less talking about an individual rancher's emotional stress. I mean, when I... I've, I've read a lot what Don has said and I've heard him talk on your show and you talk about him a lot and I don't think he gets any sleep. I, I mean, I just think he is totally out there and what a lonely environment the man is in, even if he has family uh, and community support, but because ultimately none of that makes the mortgage payment at the end of the day. And so it doesn't matter if, there is a cost, no matter, no matter any protection CPW puts in, the state puts in, your community puts in, there is a cost to Don Gittleson and his life. And um, it's it's stress. And that needs to be an issue that is brought up because these people have value. They're, they're not nobodies. They have value. So I don't know. We just go down different paths every time I get to blabbing my mouth. And I apologize. Now, you know, Don... He he goes out to his pickup around seven o'clock at night. And if nothing's going on, he goes back in, comes back out at 11. And he doesn't go back in until seven o'clock in the morning. Amazing. He takes a little cat nap. He might sleep in the feed pickup or something while he's waiting for water to fill. That's not a quality of life. No, and all of these non-lethal methods that CPW and now Colorado Department of Agriculture are pushing you have to know that the wolves are in that vicinity to put them up because they only work for a certain amount of time. You can't string miles of flattery. Right. If, if you don't know that they're in the area and if you do, then it they'll be used to it by the time you need it. And yeah. if you don't use the non-lethal methods, then you're not eligible for the same compensation, but you're not going to tell us where they are. <laughs> it's just a vicious cycle. It is a vicious cycle. And on top of that, we're in Grand County, Colorado, west of the Continental Divide. It's not like you're in southeast Colorado in Crowley County where you can see uh, 40 miles. I mean, there's so the lay of the land is so different and the forage is so different, trees and everything. So it's just a guessing game, a crapshoot of, of what, how do you prepare and where, where are they at? And, you know, and, and it, it's almost like, to me, if I was if I was in his shoes, I'd be paranoid all the time uh, because I'm trying to protect my way of life and how I put food on the table. So I my my hat goes off to him, and I hope you can tell him that for us. Okay, well I know for a fact that Rachel Gable is a prolific writer, leader, community leader. She's all about the community. I love that. She's got these little kids that know how to show, and they produce a lot of beef. So Rachel. What is your favorite cut of beef and how do you like it prepared? So this is a toss up. I really like a rib steak, a ribeye, medium rare, no more cooked, almost on the verge of a good vet could still save this animal. But I also just like a burger. Like I think a lot of the world's problems can be solved with a cheeseburger. Wow. Real. I agree. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that, awesome. yeah, that was great. Um, okay, well, any last comments before we stop recording? 
No, you can sure find me on, I'm hard to miss, but <laughs> through the Defense Post and Western Ag Network, and then of course through the Pro Ag Podcast, and you can follow along on Rachel Wrights, Rachel Gable on Facebook, and you can at least come for the cow bios, which is my free therapy. I was looking at <laughs> those. Daily, very entertaining. My daily ridiculous post. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel, for being a strong voice on this issue and for being such a strong voice in agriculture. We appreciate you taking the time to share your insights with us. Be sure to like and subscribe, leave us a review, and stay updated and engaged in the conversation by giving us a follow at RCAPUSA on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. RCAPUSA is set apart from all other national cattle associations because we rely solely on membership dues and donations to carry out our mission to ensure the continued profitability and independence of United States cattle and sheep producers. We exist only because of the support from our members. We ask you to help support our Cap USA and become a member today. To do that, go ahead and call 406-252-2516 or go to r-capusa.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We'll see you next time on the RCAP USA Roundup.